And thank you, Steve and Josiah, for the offertory. Did I mention we have wonderful staff here and spouses of staff here? Um, we're, we're very blessed. We, we are in a great, great place here at Nielsville. Um, and that has long been the case. We've, we've had uh, great staff for a long time, including uh, a few years back, we had a, uh, a young fellow who was attending seminary, Ryan Mowen, who uh, was on staff here. Ryan was, uh, worked with the youth, the, right, youth ministry, and uh, helped lead contemporary worship, contemporary music, and did a wonderful job with those things. He had a, uh, another function that was other duties as assigned. I, I think it had to do with hanging flags in the narthex and running internet cables and electrical work and, and a whole lot of other things. And Ryan was here for a few years and, and we got to know him and his wife, Lauren, and then they had a son, Elliot, who was born when they were here. And, and what a great joy they, they have been to us to get to know and we're very fortunate that Ryan is back to preach this morning, and it's a delight to have him and Lauren, and hopefully we'll see Elliot. Elliot's down in the nursery, I suppose, but keep your eyes open. You might get a chance to see him. He's three, and he's, uh, he's just as handsome and witty and intelligent as his parents. So it's a great joy to have Ryan with us this morning. Please join me in welcoming Ryan Mallon. Is this thing on? Um, it is very exciting to be back. And you know, there's a lot of people that just say it's very exciting to be back to a place, but genuinely, it's been really awesome to be back, uh, to come and meet some of the new faces here, to work with Steve a little bit. Uh, we're going to be doing a little song after the sermon um, that hopefully you'll will be blessed by. Um, but I wanted to, uh, while you're finding the passage, Psalm 91, if you have your Bibles, I would invite you to turn to that. I want to take a little personal privilege and give you an update on, uh, on life, uh, but before I do that, I just want to say, you know, Pastor Pete and I have stayed in touch quite a bit while I've been gone, um, and so I've heard a lot about kind of the long season that you guys have come through. I know that, you know, this conversation about this started several years ago. There's been lots of conversations following, lots of prayer, some hard decisions um, have had to be made, and it's been a long process, but you finally did it. You guys got a screen. It's fantastic. Oh, man. I mean, as a worship leader, I'm so excited to see there's a screen in the... I mean, I never thought the day would come. Of course, you know, I've also heard about the other news, and so just know that myself and staff and friends at Greystone, we've been praying for you, having been a church that has gone through that whole discernment thing. It can be a tough time, so we've been praying for you. I wanted to send uh, their greetings to you. Um, for those of you who I have not yet met, um, I did work here from 2011 to 2014, and I was working as a uh, contemporary worship leader, as Brian already said. And so the first slide I want to show you is the town that we currently live in. This is Indiana, Pennsylvania. Oh, isn't it cute? Now, some of you are thinking, Indiana, Pennsylvania, what kind of name of a town is that? It did exist before the state of Indiana, so we have the naming rights, I guess. Anyway, it's a small college town. Anyone who's been to IUP, maybe graduated from IUP? There we go. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, Crimson Hawks. It used to be something else when you guys were in school. All right, so we live there. Indiana, really, other than IUP, is known as the birthplace of this guy, Jimmy Stewart. That's right. So basically, we live in Bedford, Bedford Falls. Uh, it's a magical little college town uh, with the It's a Wonderful Life Festival. We have great coffee and even a video rental store. <laughs> so it's pretty magical. 
Um, I'm the associate pastor at Greystone Presbyterian Church, which, there it is, built in 1927, this building. There's another little annex on the back. Uh, but there's the inside of the church. That's me preaching my first sermon there in September, uh, back in 2014. And so you can't see all the gray hairs that I've acquired. I cut my hair really short, so they're less visible these days. But uh, that's our church, and I just wanted to give you a little update about that. And I guess I've earned a little bit of a reputation at my church. Recently, there was a, a wonderful Bible study called Mugs and Muffins. And Mugs and Muffins is a group of, of widows in our church and their friends, and they gather and they study God's Word. And they presented me with a gift just a week and a half ago that I have to show you. And I don't know how to take this, and you can maybe help discern afterwards, but... They gave me a shirt that says, The Sermonator. <laughs> and so, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure if this means like, okay, man, they really appreciate my skills. I'm very, you know, I'm like a cyborg when I come to preach, or if they feel like I'm an assassin sent to kill them slowly. <laughs> so, I hope to get us out of here by 1230, um, but we'll see how things go. Uh, hopefully, you've found the passage by now. Uh, Psalm 91, the way I'd like to introduce this before we read it is this. I think there's a lot of passages when we come to approaching the Psalms, there's a lot of passages that basically are coffee cup scriptures, right? We see them printed on our coffee mugs and we read them and we think, man, that sounds really good. What does that mean in everyday life? Like maybe that sounds a little too good. Maybe it sounds a little too good to be true. And there's these scriptures that maybe we know we can recite them. You know, we have uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We, uh, we had the band Shane and Shane up at Greystone. It was a wonderful time. I highly recommend their music if you want to hear good theology and really good uh, vocal harmonies. And it's actually a rendition of the song that we'll be doing, Steve and I. But they came in and they talked about this reality that sometimes we see these scriptures around, we see them on, you know, posters or whatever, but do we really take them to heart? Do we really let the truth of these psalms speak to us and mean something to us? And so my hope is this morning that when we approach a psalm like Psalm 91, which we'll see is very positive, that we won't at one level just kind of read it and not really take it to heart and not have it minister to us. But at a second level, some of us, when we hear some of these good things from the life that we live and the experience we've had, some of us maybe become a little skeptical, maybe are a little bit doubtful of, I don't know if that can be true in my life. And so my hope is this morning, as we study this passage, that we'll see, one, God shows us, uh, this passage shows us the tremendous faithfulness of God. Two, that this passage will show us our need for a mediator. And three, that this passage will point forward to a deeper meaning, a, a better, lasting blessing that can really encourage us through our times, uh, even in the day-to-day -day life. So uh, with that, if you would please turn your attention to Psalm 91 and hear now God's word. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that waits, wastes at noonday. 
A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to fall you. No plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest your foot strike against a stone. And you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, I think the first way that this passage helps us to be less skeptical and maybe more hopeful and more faithful when we read words like this is that this passage shows us the tremendous faithfulness of God. The thing that we need to know about this psalm is that it is very strategically placed in the book of Psalms. See, in our Bibles, the book of Psalms is one book, but in Hebrew Bibles, the book of Psalms is actually five books put together. And this comes right at the beginning of uh, book four. Psalm 90 is the beginning of book four, and Psalm 91 is kind of a transitional psalm that is aimed to remind the congregation of God's incredible faithfulness. That's the place that it had in Israel's worship when they would read this aloud. So book four begins with Psalm 90, which is a prayer of Moses. And Moses, uh, as you might remember, led the people out of Israel, and he was the one who gave them the law. He helped them understand how God wanted them to live. And so the prayer of Moses in Psalm 90 begins this way. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. It sounds a little familiar. That's exactly how Psalm 91 kind of begins, of talking about being the dwelling place, you who dwell in the shelter of the Lord. And Psalm 90 continues. You can see that Moses is worshiping God. He recognizes God's incredible power, and he prays that God's people would be aware of who he is. And then he closes with this statement, and this is uh, verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us, and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What does the favor of the Lord look like? Psalm 91 gives us this answer. This really positive psalm, the favor of the Lord. You'll see that there's several dangers listed in this psalm. There's many blessings that are listed, but then there's these dangers, and God is promising protection to his people from these dangers. And so you'll see on the next slide that we have these dangers here. The terror that comes in the night, the arrow by day, the plague of the dark, and the scourge by noonday. Now, many commentators uh, will tell you, reading this list, that this is forming basically a comprehensive statement of the perils of life of a modern day, or in that day, ancient day Israelite, Hebrew. Basically, well, you know, there was all kinds of crazy, scary stuff that happened at, at night that they had to be afraid of. And you never know when an arrow was going to come during the daytime, just stick you in the heart, you know, or in the back, something like that. There was plague and, and all sorts of famine and scourge, another iteration of the sickness. And so they say, you know, the use of day and night and dark and noonday emphasizes that peril was around 24-7, but God provided protection to that. 
And it can feel even more perilous at certain times of the day. And I think that's really convincing, but I think there's something more here, something grounded in Scripture that we can kind of pull out. If you had just been hearing the law from Moses given to you, say in Leviticus 26 or Deuteronomy 28, you would have just heard perils that sound really familiar to this. In fact, if Moses was the author of Psalm 91, as he was of Psalm 90, then he would be reiterating some of the blessings and curses of the covenant. He would have been laying out, okay, so if you follow God, this is what you have to look forward to. Nothing will touch you. Basically, no terror of the night, no arrow of the day, no plague of dark, no scourge of noonday. You're not going to have to worry about those things. He's got your back. You will find refuge in him. That's what basically this psalm was there to say. But then what we can understand is that the reverse is then true. If you're not faithful to God, then you will experience these things. So essentially, what we see here is a reiteration of the covenant blessings and curses that God had given to his people. So Psalm 91 became a part of liturgy. It would be something used in worship services that they would recite almost as a responsive reading. And you can see the voice changes in there from you who dwell and then I will say to the Lord from second person to first person. It goes back, back and forth. And so it becomes a liturgy, a responsive reading to remind the people that God will never break his promises as long as we keep our end of the deal. And that's where it's really tough. We see these amazing promises God makes. God will carry us through difficult times. His angels will protect you. You'll have long life. The blessings are really incredible. And yet, for some of us who have experienced frustration and hardship in life, maybe they sound too good to be true, right? So how do we understand this psalm? I think the famous hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, if we go to the next slide, I have a lyric up. This part of the stanza, third stanza, is very true to our experience. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. That's the history of God's people then and even now. Israel was no good at keeping up their end of the deal, but God is always faithful to his promises. And it's important for us to know that Israel, even with the blessings and curses and promised land of old, all of that covenant was not God's final solution. His faithfulness could go beyond just the giving of the law, just making it into the promised land. Scripture tells us actually that those things were shadows of something better that was yet to come. What we see here is that in this passage and through Israel's failure, it shows that God would be faithful beyond their capacity or merit, and he's faithful beyond our capacity and merit. And that's really good news. That's something we need to hold on to. And so one of the ways that this passage helps us is that it shows us something better yet to come. And part of the way that it does that is showing us how we fall short here and now. So that's the second point. This passage shows us our need for a mediator, somebody to stand in the gap, somebody to win something for us. See, if God's blessings are dependent on your merit and my merit, if they're dependent on our faithfulness, we're in big trouble. I mean, we're just in big trouble. There's no way that I can be faithful enough to earn God's blessing. I'm just not that good enough of a person yet. I don't have enough of God working in me. I'm not that holy. 
That was Israel's big problem. They could not remain faithful for longer than a generation in most cases. Sometimes they got a week, probably not even a day. You know, you, you can relate. And so they were so fearful of other nations and so greedy for other things that their hearts quickly became discontent with God and his blessings. Just kind of showed the human heart, just how far, how far we fell. And so many of the bad things in Psalm 91, as I've already mentioned, have actually come upon them. In later years in worship, this psalm would probably only serve to highlight the obvious failure of Israel to do exactly what God required. It would point out the fact that they needed rescued. They needed a mediator. They needed a person who could do it perfectly for everyone. And that's exactly what this psalm points to. God's faithfulness is further underlined by pointing to the fact that only God himself could keep up our end of the deal, and he does. If you're looking at Psalm 91, it demonstrates how much we need someone to win God's favor, and it talks a little bit about this person. If you look at verses 14 to 16, I think we're going to have them up. Listen to this. This is the voice of God speaking back to the people. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. When I will be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Does it sound like anybody familiar? Jesus is the only person to perfectly hold fast to God in love. And God delivered him from the hands of death and the grave. Jesus, being God in the flesh, knows God's name, and he called him Father. And he taught us to address him the same way. God answered him in his trouble and sustained him through every torment and trial of the cross, sustained him through his ministry and life. And Jesus was rescued from the grave, and he was honored. He was awarded eternal life. He was exalted. His name is above every name. And he became the one that we look to for salvation because he earned that blessing for us. See, this passage and really much of Scripture points forward to Jesus. So it's important for us to see this. He is the one who holds fast to God in love, and it's through him and his life that we experience God's blessing. Interestingly, this psalm was used in another famous passage, Luke 4, in The Temptation of Jesus. We're going to put that up here. So listen to this. This is happening when Jesus is out in the wilderness. He's being tempted before his earthly ministry. And Satan takes him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will guard you, or he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone." And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You see, from this passage in Luke 4, we see that even Satan knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of this psalm. Even Satan used this very passage to tempt Jesus to test God's faithfulness. That's the problem with our hearts. We hear a passage like this and we think, God, I don't know if you're 
I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if I can trust you that much. And Jesus demonstrates through his behavior two things. Go ahead and put those up on the screen. He demonstrates for us, again, that this passage goes with the rest of Scripture and tells us that God's faithfulness does not need to be tested. He is always faithful. But second, it tells us that Jesus is a perfect mediator who holds fast to God no matter what. It's pretty amazing, and I love the fact that that passage is quoted there. It gives new life and meaning to Psalm 91. But finally, this passage points forward to a deeper and lasting blessing. And, and this is kind of where I want to land. You know, when we look at this psalm in Psalm 91, and we try to speak these words into our own life, whether we're going through a hard time or just trying to understand and apply more scripture, or maybe there's someone that we know, someone in our church family or someone in our extended family, and we want to encourage them with, you know, some words that we find encouraging. And yet when we go to say them, we feel like, man, are these coming across flat? Are these coming across lacking power? We believe that God's word is powerful, that it's living and active, and that it can speak truth into our hearts and lives and build our faith. I think part of the reason, you know, even if we fully trust in Christ as the mediator, part of the reason that Psalm 91 is hard to believe is because we still feel the pain. I mean, we still feel it. It's it just... You can't get away from it. Part of the reason we maybe become doubtful or skeptical of passages about this, maybe we're slow to quote them to friends or family, maybe it's because our neighbors are having a difficult time in life. You know, the arrows of bitterness and anger are still flying and hitting us. The fear of financial struggles feel very heavy. Some of us feel like we can barely breathe. Maybe the plague of cancer or terminal illnesses or just all kinds of things. They affect so many people, close friends, some of us in this room. We've been through those things. How can these promises be true if these things keep happening? And the answer is that through Jesus, this passage points to a deeper and longer lasting truth, something beyond just this life. We need to remember that the blessing of God for Israel was not the land or long life in it or not having enemies. It was about fellowship with God. It was about God being the center of their lives. And yet for Israel, it was imperfect, right? So he dwelled in them, but nobody could get into that place unless you were a priest and you had done all these atoning sacrifices, and even then you had bells on your ankle in case you died so they could hear, okay, the bell stopped ringing, let's pull them out. God was unapproachable because of our sin. But through Christ, we have a better fellowship with God we have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living in us, and we have access to God as our Father. That's a tremendous blessing. That is a deeper and lasting thing. And one of the most amazing things is just like Romans 8, a passage that is going to flash up later in Scripture, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. No height, no depth, no enemies, no wars, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's a deeper, meaningful relationship, an unbreakable fellowship that we have with God. And so you see, Psalm 91 is not limited to God's faithfulness and blessing just in the 80 or whatever plus years that we have on earth. And how can we know that? We look to Jesus. 
Jesus was the one who had complete favor with God. He was perfect. He was his only begotten son. And yet, what did Jesus experience in life? Grief. He experienced frustration with his annoying disciples. He experienced frustration with those pesky Pharisees. He experienced uh, the betrayal, the mocking. The, he was beaten. He was killed. The perfect son of God who God promised I will hold fast to him because he holds fast to me in love, experienced all these things in his life. And yet he is eternally blessed and he won that blessing for us. I'm amazed at the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, how through that whole book he just displays this unshakable confidence in God, this confidence in God that no matter what the circumstances of life are, God's got this one way or another. In good or bad, he's going to use these situations. And I think it's, it's a faith that we all desire to have. But sometimes we think, how can I have that? We need to start resting in the fact that we are sealed in unbreakable fellowship through Christ, a union with Christ. And I have an example. And only 15 minutes before I got up to preach, I realized there's a better version of this illustration. But we're, we're going to try it. Let's see if there's a pan that shows up. There it is. That's my favorite nonstick pan, everybody. That's a T-Fowl. You can get them at Marshall's, you know, TJ Maxx, America's Test Kitchen, thinks they're great. It's perfect. Anyway, the great thing about a nonstick pan, a good nonstick pan, is the Teflon clings to the pan and doesn't come off. But nothing sticks to the Teflon, right? It's supposed to be, come right off. I think a cast iron pan is probably even better because a cast iron pan can be nonstick. Uh, you know, once it's seasoned, it's on there, you take care of it, it clings to it. But then, you know, if you try to maybe not go through the seasoning process, maybe you try to use a gallon of Dawn on your cast iron pan, all of a sudden it's not going to be as nonstick as it once was, right? I think in a lot of ways, you know, we forget kind of the source of our faith is our union with Christ, an, an inseparable bond that we have through the blood of Christ, through God working in our hearts, through the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. And so we let a lot of cares of this world are going to hit us. You know, we're going to go through life. We're going to have, you know, stir fry one day. It will be one hardship. All kinds of food analogies of the hardships of life, right? Think of the stickiest, nastiest stuff you can put in a pan, something, a life situation that gets overcooked. But hopefully, with our relationship with Christ, we can go through life and have this unshakable confidence. We're like Teflon on a pan. The food will eventually come off, but we're going to stay stuck. But some of us, we go through life and we try to treat it with other things. We try to doctor it up with our own good works. So we, we put a gallon of Dawn in and we try to scrub and scrub and we end up just letting more things stick to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? The hope of this passage and the deeper meaning that it points to and the mediator that it highlights our need for, that is exactly what helps us get through these tough seasons of life. And it might be hard when we're hearing about no scourge or plague will touch you and we get that diagnosis by surprise. But we understand that even through a hardship like a bad diagnosis or a loss of a job, that God can bring good out of it. That the hard things we go through aren't in vain but that God can redeem those hard things and it makes him look like who he is, glorious, amazing. 
and it turns us into people that are not independent Christians, but people that are reliant and dependent on a great God and indebted to his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for uh, just your work in this world. I thank you for how you work in mysterious ways, and I thank you for just how amazing your scriptures are, how they speak truth into our lives, and even things from covenants of old can point forward to deeper, meaningful truth, that a psalm that sounds too good to be true that we, we find on coffee cups can still have hope and give us hope for today. So Father, I pray that these words would find truth in our hearts, that we would be able, I don't know the circumstances of everyone in this room, but I know that we are all going through life in a fallen world that you are redeeming. And we're so glad to be a part of that. So we pray that your word would energize us and encourage our faith. We ask this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.